Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. In this episode, I am joined by Brett Hornig and Leah Yingling to preview the 2023 Bandera 100K. We analyze the course, we talk about what it's going to take to be successful, we note some of the interesting storylines around the event, and of course, we make our predictions for both the female and male podium finishers this year. Before we get started, this episode is brought to you by Rabbit. Use code SINGLETRACK30 on their website for 30% off your next order. I'm really excited to announce that Rabbit will be one of our presenting sponsors for all of 2023. I'll have more details about it in the coming weeks, but in the meantime, feel free to use that code again for 30% off your next order. With that, let's get started. Welcome back, everybody. I'm here with frequent co-hosts, frequent colleagues, Leah Yingling and Brett Hornig. It's Bandera 100K race week. Traditionally, this has been the first golden ticket up for grabs, I think. It's changed a bit in years past, but uh, I don't know. It's a new year, and I feel like it's the first of something. So we're here. And I think before we get into our standard uh, index of topics, one of the cool things is that I should probably talk little to none this episode because Brett and Leah have so much (laughs) course knowledge and experience here. If anything, I'm probably undermining or hurting the conversation somehow uh so can we can we brag a little bit before we get started leah what's your what's your background here yeah so i have run this race once which was last year um it was my attempt at a golden ticket where i failed miserably and got um i ran i had a decent race at the end of the day i got third place but definitely some things i would do differently but yeah it's a cool course pretty unique um i wouldn't say it's my favorite course in the world but yeah, it's a fun one and fun early season race, um, which historically doesn't end up being the most stacked golden ticket race, which, and I think we're seeing similar things this year, but, um, yeah, Brett, when have you been to Bandera? I raced it twice and once in 2018 and then in 2019, 2019 was the alternate course year because the original course flooded out. Um, 2018, I blew up a lot cause I went out too hard. I think I positive split, but like 45 or 50 minutes Mm. so then in 2019 i came back to run a much smarter race or so i thought i actually blew up harder so i think i positive split that one by like over an hour um so i don't have a good like success rate at bandera but i know a lot of things not to do yeah that's at the race so those are oftentimes the biggest learning experiences yeah i will say like i feel like i failed pretty miserably at bandera last year but i don't think i would have had the year i had without racing Bandera last year. I think I learned like my entire season worth in one race. So I'll give it that. Um, and I've never hit a wall harder than I did at mile 58 last year in Bandera. Leah, I would, Leah, <laughs> Leah, I would kill for 13th place. And you're saying that third place was a bad day. Yeah, it was not good. It was, it was not pretty. I mean, you can look at the last 15 miles on my Strava and look for every time I dip in pace and just consider that a GI distress stop. So yeah, not my best day. <laughs> not a lot of I, coverage uh, out there. <laughs> nope. I um, two things that stand out to me is the timing of this race. It's early January and you either have to love running or you have to be dedicated to the pursuit of a golden ticket. I feel like because this is a tough time of year for a lot of people in the U.S. The train. I was just talking with Ryan Montgomery, and he was snow plowing three feet of snow in his driveway in order to get out on a shakeout run today uh, here in Utah. So uh, a-, a lot of hardcore people, I feel like, are doing this race. Yeah, definitely uh, 
it can play to the southern southwest kind of territories. Yeah, I will say last year this was I, this was one of the more fun training blocks I had though. I guess I usually train largely in the mountains and then I transitioned more to a road focused but still trying to get like 10,000 feet a week type of roadblock or type of training block and it was fun because I felt like it was a nice time to focus on speed. Like I think here in Utah it's tough to get out into the mountains this time of year. So it's a great time to focus on speed. So I did kind of like training for it. I like training for it more than like actually racing it, I'd say. Maybe we talk about the course a little bit and then we'll get into interesting facts, expected conditions, and then storylines and picks around the men's and women's fields. Uh, Leah, I know you you got into it a little bit about what it takes to win here and, and how this course tends to play to certain strengths and weaknesses. Um, on the women's side, like how are you expecting the field to to go out and race this thing? And when you're looking at people's like Strava files and in their training lead up, what stands out to you in terms of readiness for this race? Yeah, I think I like to see some fast running in their training blocks, like fat, fat, flat, fast running in a training block combined with still getting some punchy climbing runs in because like on paper, this profile does not look bad. I think like on my Strava from last year's 6,800 feet over a hundred K distance and it's comprised of two 50 K loops. So each loop has, you know, 3,400 feet or so. So on paper, it's not bad, but they are like relentless punchy climbs whenever you don't want to be running a relentless punchy climb. Um, Mm. So it's tricky in that way. It also is quite technical, especially in like the first six miles of the course. Um, So first six miles and then obviously like 31 to 37 or so. Um, So you still, you need to be a good technical runner to succeed here. So usually if I see somebody doing just exclusively road running um, with less experience on the trails, I don't think that is too favorable for a course like this. So a mix of trail running and fast road running, I think leads to success here. Um, also, I had one more thing. Let me think. Well, like, how about, how about that? How about the loop psychology? Did that, does that factor in at all? Yeah. Um, so looking just from my memory from last year, thinking about this course, I tend to want to either even split or negative split a race. And this race looks like one where you should be able to do so. From my research last year, I don't believe there's ever been an elite or like top 10 runner who has even or negative split this race. So this race is more about who can positive split the least. And Mm. I think a great race run here is usually positive splitting less than 15 minutes on your second loop. I think given that this is a golden ticket race, you want to be in the mix on that first loop um, in order to give yourself a chance on that second loop. However, there are a couple of runners, especially on the men's side here, who I think could give a negative split a shot on here and see great success. So I, I want to see a negative split happen this year personally, but I do think this race doesn't exactly cater to that as well. I think that that's spot on. I was, I was just talking with Joe McConaughey. He ran, I think, a five-minute positive split last year, and he was stoked about that, <laughs> especially given the conditions. So I think that's saying something. Brett, any... Any other um, insights about the course or, or how this race runs itself that you think is relevant to the audience? Yeah, I mean, kind of like Leah said, it's a tricky course because there's a lot of seemingly very flat, super open, runnable sections, but not quite enough where you can completely bank on that. 
Um, like, you know, the race starts going pretty much straight into the hardest portion of the course. Like that first 10 K is super punchy, bigger climbs, you know, like gets that heart rate good and spiked at the very beginning to just cater to that blow up six hours later. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, you make it through that section and then you're like, oh, wow, there's like 15 miles of just cruiser running. And it's one of those, oh, it felt like I was going the right pace, but I was actually going way too hard type bits of the course. So you have to be really disciplined in that regard to not totally just go for it. And then you hit a section of hills before you end the loop. And then you go straight into the first section of hills again. So like at the end of the first loop, beginning of the second, you get like a double length um, section of hills. And if you can get through that section and still have good running legs after, what is that, like mile 42 or 43-ish, mm-hmm. and then you can run, that's how you're going to really set yourself up for for success um, on the course. Because, yeah, there's, the sections, while it's not a lot of overall vert, uh, the way that it's laid out makes it really tough and the footing's bad and – there's those spiky things just all over the course wherever you don't want them. And then they shred your legs. I always call them land urchins, but they have a real name. Sotol, um, I think. S-O-T-O-L. Sotol. The Sotol <laughs> land urchins. They come up and you have to run through them and there's no way to go around them. And you're just like swearing and cursing as you go up leading to it. And it'll be like lap one. You know you're going to have to go through it again. Uh, so there's some like mentally very challenging parts of the course because I did not like getting poked by them. Yeah. And it's not like you're just running a straight line through them either. It's like you're doing multiple like like S shaped through them. Like it's quite contrived at times. You're almost like weaving through. So I felt like it was a hard race to get into a rhythm on, on like the more technical winding sections. Um, it does mm-hmm. get cruisy. There's like this prairie section. Um like probably around mile 20 to 28 or so on the loop, 20 to 27. That's like prairie flat, maybe like a small grade where if you're a road runner, I think like people really tapped into that last year, if that was a strength. And I think my advice for anybody running this is to like know what your strength is coming into this race. Say it's technical running, say it's mountain running, like kind of surge on those sections a little bit um, because that's like, you're not going to get much, like you're going to go right straight from a flat fun section into a technical section where that might slow you down if you're better on the flat, fast stuff. Um, So just know what your strengths are and play to those as best you can. Mm. And then something else too that I like about Bandera is the fact, like, I feel like this race doesn't favor East Coast, West Coast, any type of area in particular as a golden ticket race. Like I feel like nobody necessarily has an advantage unless like you're maybe one of these Texas runners who are more local to the area, but Ryan Miller. Yeah, exactly. And I know there's some women on some women on the entrance list as well that are local and run some of these races, but I think like there's nothing similar to this really out West, maybe some desert terrain, nothing similar to this on the East. So at least in like recent years, like thinking about the women's podium last year, it was like Ellie Pell, Marianne Hogan, and myself, we all came from quite different training and quite different areas. Um, so I felt like nobody really had an advantage, which is pretty cool to see. And like, you don't see that as often in golden ticket races. One thing that interested me as I was comparing this golden ticket race to black Canyon, for example, is the winning times ballpark seemed to be similar. Leah, I know, for example, you've done 
some time on the Black Canyon course. I think you did the 40 mile race at the 60K. Mm-hmm. And Brett, you've been there for Javelina. Um, are there any similarities between those two courses, or is it just some other oddity that makes the time similar? I, yeah, I think um, Black Canyon's quite a bit cruisier earlier on. Like the first marathon of Black Canyon is super fast and it's downhill. Um, but I think when Black Canyon starts to get technical after Black Canyon City or maybe like five miles before Black Canyon City, I can see some similarities there. Um, so I'd say from like mile 30 onwards of Black Canyon, I see similarities. Um, but I truthfully feel like there was times in Black Canyon where you could get into more of a rhythm than Bandera. Brett, any other thoughts on the course and what you think it's going to take to be successful out there? Yeah, I mean, I think this has kind of turned into like perhaps not the deepest golden ticket races in the past, but it they've there's been a lot of really good racing uh, at this race where you do kind of, if you want a golden ticket, you have to be in a spot to fight really, really hard in the last 20 miles because spots have shuffled, I think almost every year uh, in the last, you know, even like 10 or 15 miles. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and part of that is because you kind of get, you go through the meat grinder in the middle of the race. And then all of a sudden you need to get straight back into like, flat cruisy running effort except at that point in the race you're, it feels like you're absolutely hammering and you're going to feel like that no matter what but the difference between good legs and bad legs on that section of the course could be like three minutes a mile mm. um i seven thirty seven thirty a.m start time huh. do i have that right mm, might be six thirty. i read that on the schedule but now that i'm thinking about it i don't know which schedule i'm like that sounds amazing <laughs> I know um, last yeah. year it was six thirty. Um, let's uh, let's fact check me on yeah. that actually, so that way a whole bunch of people aren't like <laughs> Wait, showing up an game. hour late to the race. <laughs> Not that cool. this should be the guide, like you know, follow the oh. the race director's guide that they huh. send out. Oh no, I think you're right. Seven thirty. I think I got it from the Bandera mass- Yeah, you're right. That's new. I swear, last year that- six thirty, and even looking at uh, Joe McConey's race report from last year. Um, he referenced the 6.30 start and that there was somebody who started without a headlamp last year, which made for a fun first seven miles on technical train without a headlamp. Yeah, because I thought that I started in 2019 with a headlamp or at least was walking around in the dark before the race yeah. started. Um, yeah, so I think this is probably an hour later than normal, actually. That's I will cool. say we, we, uh, the, the, our, our episodes together have reached a level of growth where there are consequences for saying the wrong thing. It's like, we can't, we can, we can no longer go Ron Burgundy and read everything off the teleprompter. Our words totally have consequences. So. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> um, but anyways, I, maybe we, before we get into, uh, well, actually, let's talk about conditions. So what's what's the weather report? Yeah, it's looking uh, 70 degrees is the high right now in Banderas, Bandera, Texas, with like 50, 50s as the low um, and looking cloudy. So I think this is a pretty standard Bandera temperature. I think last year when I ran it, um, it was in the 60s and precipitating like a light mist. I think when this course gets wet, it's not fun. It's It has a lot of mud that really holds onto your shoes and sticks to your shoes. I know there's rain predicted for Sunday. So if that moves back a day, that'll make for some interesting conditions. But I remember feeling last year, like I had a goal of like a 440 first lap, 450 second lap, 
And I remember okay. coming into that first lap running 441 and feeling like that was a pretty taxing 441. So I think conditions can like do a number on you out here if it's rainy. Is this a race where like 70 or 75 degrees translates to like you should have been heat training during the buildup? Uh-huh. Yeah. It sure kind of so. feels like it. I mean, yeah, in 2019, it was almost 80 mm. uh, when I ran it. And I felt like I was getting just straight sizzled out there. Huh. Yeah. I think for me last year, um, it's humid in Texas. And especially if you're coming from a dry mm. West climate, I, I was drenched all day. And I think that was the beginning of the end for me was the humidity. So I think, yeah, heat training, but also like knowing how to manage humid conditions is really important as well. Let's talk times and course records for a second before we get into the men's and the women's fields. What maybe Leah, uh, talk a bit about the men's and the women's course records and whether you think they are in danger of being, uh, challenged. Um, yeah, Brett, what are the exact numbers for the course records? So we've got, uh, Stephanie Violet, 2017, 908, and then Jim Wamsley, 2016, 746. Okay. Yeah. So I think women's race historically is one in a time that's anywhere from Stephanie's 907 to like a 925. I'd say that usually can win it. Um, a lot, I think Brett was saying there's a lot of times that are in like the nine. 15 through 918 range last year marianne Mm -hmm. won in i think 918 um yeah so i think the course record on the women's side will go down this year with courtney dewalter running it personally i don't think on the men's side i mean we'll get into like the depth of this race and whatnot i think there's a lot of competitive men but i don't think the course record will go down on the men's side um i do think historically the women's podium is 10. I mean, last year, I think I ran 10.05. I think mm-hmm. the podium's usually 10 hours and under for women. Yeah. And then men, I don't know what you've seen, Brett, in your research. It's like 8, 8.20, 8.30. Um, Jim's, Jim's 7.46 is an outlier time. I mean, he's the only person under eight hours, and he's 14 minutes under that. The number two time is 8.02 uh, by Jorge Maravilla in 2014. And then the last two years have been won in 8.10. I think they were like 10 seconds mm. apart. Um, wow. So yeah, eight, I think, you know, eight ten to eight twenty is kind of right in that golden ticket type range. So as we're watching the live stream on Saturday, when do you think we can expect the front of the women's pack and the front of the men's pack to come through the halfway point lap one? Mm. Okay. Um, I was looking at splits on the, on the men's side, Leah, you probably got the ladies side mm-hmm. more dialed in. Um, yeah, it's funny. Like, even like, it almost doesn't matter what time the race is won on the men's side; they will go through the fifty k mark in under three fifty. <laughs> That's just how it's been. Like, Jonathan Ray was three fifty, and that or like three fifty two, and that was one of the more conservative ones. Um, the year before that was in the mid three forties, and then in wow. the the year Jim ran seven forty six, he was like three. 40 low and he only positive split by like eight minutes or something like that, which was one of the more even races that have been run there, at least at the top end for mm. Bandera. But it's definitely been a go out kind of hard and see who fades the least type of race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on the women's side, it's typically about 
first ladies will go through around 420, 425. Um, so I think when Marianne won last year, she might have been just under 420 for her lap. And like are the chase pack, I think I was second into 50K and we were 441. So Marianne already had 20 minutes on us. Um, and I know the year Katie Asmith won Bandera, she went through, she actually had a pretty decent positive. So it was like 425 in like five hours. So I think that year, same thing, right around 425 for the women. Um, so yeah, curious to see what kind of 50K split the lead women, especially if they're on course record pace and to see if anybody would go with course record pace other than perhaps the woman setting the course record pace this year. Well, yeah, I thought one of the, the interesting things you said earlier is that Bandera is the great equalizer of races. It kind of doesn't matter where you're from across the U.S., except maybe if you're a local in Texas, it's kind of anyone's ball game. Uh, and I think maybe this is a good time to lead us through the women's field. Who are some of the front runners, in your opinion, and then maybe even some local crushers that stand the chance? I know that one thing that stood out to me, and we talked about this offline, it seems like all of the elite women in our sport, or so many of them, are, are aiming for Black Canyon, and this is an un- unusually quiet year at Bandera. So I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think um, on the women's side, I'll speak specifically to that one first. Um, there's like a couple kind of heavy hitters. And then I think after them, it's anybody's game, which will be fun. So I think in past years, um, there have been a couple of these more heavy hitters that have had bad days or maybe DNF after the first loop. So you really can't count out the chase back pack behind them. Um, So this year, for example, Courtney DeWalter is running Bandera, which I think is going to be pretty exciting. And if I had to have a favorite in this race, I'd put like all the money I own on Courtney for this one, (laughs) which is not much, but yeah, Courtney, Courtney's running. And I think she's trying to get into Western States and Finn. I just listened to your podcast with her. Um, and ideally I think her season would be a Western States hard rock double. And I think this is her first step on that path. Um, she's most recently coming off just, I think performance of the year at grand raid. Um, Mm -hmm. just one of the most remarkable, I think probably her best race of all time. And, um, she's then, I think took a pretty low November and has been building speed since then. So like, sometimes people say like, Oh, I don't know how fast Courtney is, et cetera. Like, Courtney has run some fast times on some like fast Moab and Southern Utah courses and things like that. So like Courtney can run fast, like when she's not on a mountainous course. So I'm really, really excited to see um, what she does here. And I think I was trying to find some like more runnable races that she's done in the past. And I think she won Tarawera a few years back and there's only two women who have run faster than her there at the hundred K and that's Ruth Croft and Ruby Muir. So both very fast women who have a lot of leg speed. So I think anybody that thinks Courtney can't run fast. um, Yeah. She's got a solid history of fast running behind her. So I expect her to chase that course record and probably go well below it. And if I had to have a prediction, I think we'll see sub nine hours for the women this year there. Um, Is it, is it fair to say Leah on, on the Courtney, uh, on the topic of Courtney, is it fair to say that as she progressively goes down in distance, she's more approachable from a competition standpoint? Like if I'm Amanda Basham or Nicole Bitter, am I, is it, do I have a better shot beating her at a hundred K than at a hundred mile, for example? Maybe, but I think a statistic that just comes to mind is, uh, 
Cape Town last year, 2021, I think. Um, she won and beat Marianne Hogan, who then went on to have an exceptional 2022. And she beat Marianne by, I think, 55 minutes there. And Marianne has mm. run, like, what, third fastest time at Bandera. Uh, so yes and no. I think Courtney knows how to go to the well perfectly in all these races and can dial her efforts accordingly. So I think I do think the longer it gets, yeah, the further away the competitors are from Courtney, but I think she could still hold her own at the 100k distance. Cool. It would take a it would take an off day by mm-hmm. Courtney for someone else to win. Like yeah. I don't think yeah, I just don't think at this point in time, especially just with the way Courtney's been racing, like if if she has a good day, I think it's under the course record. And a victory. Yeah. The reason I was curious, I was looking at her ultra sign up and the year she won Western States 2018. I think she ran like 17, 20 change there. She got second at the black Canyon hundred K to Ailsa McDonald, who is phenomenal. But that, that result just was interesting. I think she ran Sean O'Brien and got her golden ticket like a couple weeks right before that race though. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, and that That was back two weeks apart, I think actually, cause I think black, uh, Sean O'Brien used to be like early February. And so Black Canyon was probably like two or three weeks later. Okay. That just makes that result even more impressive. <laughs> Never mind. And and I think I think Courtney's a lot better than she was a couple of years ago then yeah. too. Yes. Yeah. Like like that Courtney was very good. I think this Courtney is better. <laughs> yep. I agree. Um but yeah, some of the other women that we'll see um who could push Courtney, and I'm curious if they would go with Courtney, is um Amanda Basham. So she, this will be her first race post having two children. Uh, and I think her last race was that she finished was Speed Go 2021, where she had a really solid result there. Um, and she has gotten a golden ticket before back in uh, when Gorge Waterfalls was still a golden ticket race, I think back in 2016. And she has two fourth places at Western States, I think 2016 and 2018. So she's in great shape right now. She's been putting in really good training. Um I feel like she's really focused on this and wants to get back to Western States. So I think she'll be a really fun one to follow out there. And hopefully um, racing 100K comes back to her pretty naturally. A little bit of intel there. And I this is unfair because I haven't published the episode yet. But she told me <laughs> that she feels in as good a shape at the end of this training block as she did in the lead up to her 2019 CCC where she got second place. I think to Claire Gallagher. I can't remember who it was that year, mm. but yeah. she's feeling super good. I, I learned a ton about her, by the way. She, apparently she's like, like Leah, she almost rivals you in terms of her ultra running fandom and like nerdery. Like <laughs> she says she listens to all of our episodes. Like she's super into like <laughs> our preview episodes and stuff. And uh, anyway, she's feeling super good. Oh, I'm really excited to see her race this week. And I think, yeah, in her training, I saw she threw down a really solid 30 miler and followed by like a 20 miler at sub eight minute pace, uh, right to follow that the next day. So really rooting for her out there and hopefully she's got her two babies out there cheering her out. Who else and, do we got? Oh, uh, Amanda oh, go Basham, her, her signature pack by <laughs> with ultra spire is like the best, like mid to short distance pack in existence. Yes. <laughs> like there is no amount of pace that you can run that makes that pack bounce which is incredible. That's, that's all. <laughs> I, no, it's, I think it's an excellent addition to the, to the t- conversation. I have always felt somewhat questionable about the ultra spire brand, but that is a phenomenal pack. Yeah. With the bottle, the bottle on the back. That's the, genius. Genius. Yeah. 
Uh, Anyways. Yeah, a couple other on the women's side then. So Nicole Bitter, um, so she just missed a golden ticket at Havelina this year by about 30 minutes, I believe. Um, she's super fast. She lives in Texas, trains on probably similar terrain whenever she can get on the trails. I think in 2022, she ran a 335.50K. So she's got significant leg speed. Um, she ran Havelina really smart this year too. I think she, yeah, just out of it, out of the race a little bit towards the end. So I think especially coming off a race where she was really close to getting a golden ticket, um, she's probably pretty motivated to try to get one here too. So I know she was supposed to run Cape Town, but um, didn't start that because she rolled her ankle on a shakeout run a couple days prior, which was unfortunate, but maybe that'll play to her benefit in this race. Say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And then I have a few other that are, others that are exciting. So Michelle Magigna, um, Midwestern got her golden ticket here back in 2020 and she ran a 943, which I would say historically, um, kind of sub nine, this 930 to 945 range tends to be where we see our second place woman at Bandera. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that'll be similar this year. I have a feeling it might be a smidge faster than that this year. Um, but she most recently set a one hour course record at Kettle Moraine 100 this summer. And yeah, she's really cool to me. Cause if you take a peek at her ultra sign up, she's one of those women who are constantly winning races outright. So she races a lot in the Midwest and like you just see a slew of first place overall on her results, which I think is really fun. Um, She's coached by David Roach, I believe. And I was chatting with him last night and he said she has, she just bought her first pair of shoes since last year's Bandera just this week. So she's a pretty minimalist when it comes to racing. Um, I think she has a flip phone too, which is really cool. Um, So really simplistic, really minimal. Um, I think she's in a really good place and I'm really excited to see how she does this year. Um, interesting fact about her, and I encourage everybody listening to this. Um, she suffered an assault a couple years back while running um, at Knife Point, and Henry Howard um, from runspirited.com did a really nice write up on her and about her experience and return to running. Um, just really incredible, and like huge props to Michelle for getting back out there because I know that's not easy at all. And we'll link to that in the show notes as well. That's awesome. Um, yeah, Brett, any other women? I think I had a couple on my list, but I don't know if there's anybody that came to mind for you. Um, let's see. Uh, Cassie Enman has had some pretty solid results, you know, like maybe five or six years ago, but then recently was first at the Trap Lodge Marathon in, I think it's in Vermont. Um, second overall uh, to Eric LaPuma. Like yeah. it was a 20 minute gap. Uh, I'm like, I had okay, that well, that's, down too. That's, that's impressive. That's a pretty, that's a legit result. So, I mean, yeah. if you're as good as your last race, then, uh, then Cassie's fit coming into Bandera. And then the other one who I'm curious about is Catherine short, who mm-hmm. won the canyons 50 K last year. I think this is her hundred K debut. Um, I think she DNF black Canyon this past year. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but has been living in Maui and like logging some pretty legit, training just looking at Strava and just getting that heat and humidity like she's going to be one of the few people that will get to fly to this race and be in a less humid environment and like much Mm. cooler so that's going to you know that's going to play to her strengths a lot so um yeah but kind of like you said Leah there's like we were talking about how the depth of the field is not as deep (laughs) but the uh the overall like the, the the heavy hitters at the front you know like uh Courtney Amanda Basham, Nicole Bitter, like those three could really push that golden ticket time to 
you know, maybe even a faster time than in years past. Um, but all it takes is, you know, one of them to, or two of them to have a slightly off day and then it becomes wide open. And totally, I mean, that's, that's a thing in ultra running. Like it's almost certain that all three of them won't have a good day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something I really like about Catherine short is she is, she's very fast, um, on flat terrain, but also like Hawaii is technical and she gets up in the mm-hmm. mountains. It looks like pretty regularly. So she's probably no stranger to technical terrain, but also running really fast. I think she's got a 120 or 121 half marathon. Um, I also mm-hmm. like she got um, 15th place at Flagstaff Sky Peaks, the 26K, which was a Golden Trail Series mm-hmm. race this year, which was stacked beyond yeah, that race was stacked. Yeah. So getting 26th and I mean, getting 15th and a 26K mixing it up with like the world's top short distance mountain athletes was, I think, just an absolutely incredible result. And I think that shows her range as well. Mm. I've got one potential dark horse, although it looks like they, they have a pretty strong ultra sign up here. Sarah Bergeron LaRouche. Mm, yeah. Uh, Another Canadian. Canadian, like same vein as Marianne Hogan and Matthew Blanchard in that Montreal area. Uh, she's had a top 10 at the North face San Francisco endurance challenge. She's won the white face mountain sky race, won a variation of ultra trail Harikana a bunch of times. And I've been looking at her training here on Strava too. long runs looking really strong in inclement weather. I want to say she might be coached by David Roche because mm-hmm. they both follow each other. So she is, um, she seems like she's got experience. I think she could be flying under the radar and she could be a strong candidate. Finn's sleeper pick of the week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks like- Brought um... to you by stamps.com. <laughs> Ooh, man, what a sponsor. <laughs> Single tracks just on the up and up. <laughs> Manifesting that one. <laughs> I'm sure Mr. Stamp is listening to this. Yeah. Oh my. <laughs> But yeah, I think I think she could be very interesting. Yeah, I think um, she's raced with Catherine Short before as well. So Catherine's a Canadian, um, and I think she got second to her just by like three or four minutes at uh, Quebec Mega Trail 50K or so this summer. Yep. So yeah, it'll be fun to see them battle it out too with a little longer distance. Anyone else that's interesting to you? I've got a couple listed. I have um, Kareth Arnold. So she, um, I'm not sure where she's from, but she's a 623.50 miler, which is like 7.30 pace. Uh, Oh, where was this one? I think it was in the Midwest somewhere. Um, She got second at Bandera 50K last year in 4.34, which I think if you want to be in the mix, you kind of, you might be needing to run that for like a single loop this year and then doing it again. Uh, So curious to see how she'll come back this year with some course experience and stepping it up in distance. But I think the 623.50 miler is... um, evident that she can, you know, run, run quite fast and then also run on technical terrain as well. Should we do our podium picks? Yeah. I have my podium written down. (laughs) What do you got, Brett? So I've got Courtney DeWalter for the win course record. Yeah, I think, I think course record, I think a lot of it, I, I always wonder like how, Courtney's in the unique position where she can almost like, how hard does Courtney want to race? Um, Cause you know, she knows what her plan is going to be beyond 
Bandera, you know, Western States Hard Rock? Like, is this a, I want to race just hard enough to secure a spot to Western States? Or is it like, I want to see where my fitness is at and like, go for it. That seems to be more the case with just how Courtney races is like, like, you know, the personal challenge of trying to race hard. So like with that in mind, like I'm thinking course record, um, I've got Amanda Basham for second. Um, yeah, it seems like her training's just been in a really good place and, you know, is running for like all the right reasons and seems to be like getting very fit and, you know, it's, it's to a spot that I, I guess is familiar for Amanda. Like she's been there before she has raced as well as, you know, podium spotted Bandera. I mean, actually, I mean, I guess better, I would probably say fourth at Western States would be better than that. But, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's time for her to, you know, get back to that point. And then, um, I've got Nicole Bitter rounding out the podium. So, I mean, yeah, not really any hot takes there, <laughs> but that's, that's, that's kind of what I'm seeing at the moment. What do you got, Leah? I've got Courtney winning course record, running a exceptionally fast race and probably like creeping into the men's top five. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, we, like eight forties. Eight thirties. Oh, no. Oh, what, that's, what, 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 oh, top five. Oh, I thought you meant top five all time. Oh no, no, on, like no, the no. men's side. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I say like, she, I think she goes sub nine, maybe in that like eight fifty something range. And like, actually that's probably not good enough for men's top five, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. But Courtney win course record. I think Amanda Basham, second place, um, probably in that like nine, nine thirty to nine forty range. And then I think Catherine's short for third place. Okay. All right. For con for context for my picks, I got added so hard on social media after our last episode putting Walmsley over Peterman in the Uroy. And I want the audience to know that uh, I've blocked out all the haters with my headphones <laughs> on here. You, oh, you nice. can't, you can't stop me. And now. I'm leveling up oh, no. one more step this no. week. My hot take of the week is Courtney DeWalter is not winning Bandera 100K. Amanda Basham is winning this race. Courtney's getting second. Sarah Bergeron third. That's my podium. You can at me all you want. Oh. I've muted everybody. <laughs> <laughs> winning. What's the winning time? The winning time is 9.15, so no course record. Okay. Oh, That's man. a hot take for sure. Yeah. Um, I got I to agitate the algorithm here. <laughs> Yeah, gotta. Uh, did did the Uroy did the Uroy stuff come out yet? I don't think it has. I think it. I think it's it, usually mm. around like January tenth or so. Okay, just making sure I wasn't like missed it or something. But yeah, how could I have missed I, it? I, I I have I have no evidence on this. By the way, this is just, I I do think Peterman is probably going to take it. I I don't think it's going to be close. No, no, no backseas now. You got to roll with Jim. Oh no, I, all I, the I, way I, through the end I, of January. I stand, I stand by Jim. I stand by Jim. I, that is, that is a hill, not a hill. That's a mountain I'll die on. But, oh, um, anyways, that's my podium. Wow, <laughs> you're never gonna do well on fantasy free trail fan. <laughs> or there's gonna be one race where it everything falls apart for the status quo. That's world, true. And I'm just I'm just sitting there to pick up. Yeah, you're just shooting. <laughs> no, he shot. does. Those days are gone. People don't blow up in ultras anymore. <laughs> um, Brett, you want to walk us through some initial people in the men's field? Because I personally think that this is the deepest men's field at Bandera in recent memory. It, I 
I think I agree. I guess the only spot where I say the, well, I guess it's not a depth thing is I feel like Banderas had like bigger heavy hitters at the very top mm. in years yes. past. Um, that's not to say that those times won't get run. Leah, what, what do you? What's I just I feel like the big <laughs> yeah. I feel like there are heavy hitters at Bandera usually, but they always DNF. So I feel like we okay, always yeah, see... that's what I was wondering too. Is like the start list versus the actual yeah. finish results yeah. look wildly different? I, I think um, so. Yeah, because there's been some there's been some stoppages at Bandera I, before, but yeah, the start list is the start list has a lot of names on it in terms of like podium potential people yeah i guess we oh. should um maybe discuss a couple notable dns's that were on the entrance list and like yes a week ago that aren't on there anymore yeah that's true we probably should have done that before we started throwing names out there because people are like they forgot jones yeah so, yeah. so uh, and this is by the way the great detective work of brett and leah here but i'll take the credit uh matt daniels tim tollison becca windell and adam mary i think are the most significant dns's for this race mm-hmm. and yep, we hope to see all of them at a future fan. uh oh, no problem someone's <laughs> got to do it <laughs> i mean actually not that not that i contributed to that as well that's all detective leah <laughs> okay but i leah actually i want to ask you one thing because you i believe had chris myers in your uroy top 10 for 2022 mm-hmm. and he's in this race so what what do you where do you think his uh, his ceiling like what, what are your expectations for him okay so i think he is significantly fast his training is very good right now um, only mm-hmm. question mark for him is first hundred K. So if he races yep. this fast and aggressive, perhaps like he's raced some of his 50 Ks that might come to bite him on the second loop. But I think yep. if he runs a conservative race and can like be po- like positive split less than most, um, he's one of the fastest guys out there. So he's going to be a fun one to watch. I, yeah. I DM'd him on Instagram asking if he could give us any intel, and I'll just quote, it, quote, it's my first 100K, and it's going to be a learning experience, exclamation point. I'm there to have fun and be competitive, but if a ticket happens, then that would be cool, exclamation point. But it's not really the primary goal, nice. end quote. Well, yeah, I just think just race he... and learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm yeah, I think if he, can, uh, if he can get through the first loop, without trashing the legs too much like that's not even so much the first loop the first loop and then the set of hills again yeah like if you can get to mile 40 and still be able to run mm-hmm. be in a good place um, yeah i think in context for him he just broke a rob Carr course record at mcdowell mountain frenzy 50k um yeah. and then has also done mountain races this year like a top five i think fourth place at broken arrow seventh place at mammoth um mm-hmm. and then has that's also way too cool Oh, yeah. So he's put in some really good training um, right after that 50K at McDowell recently. I think that race was in December. So even since then, he's put in really good long runs and looks like he got right back on the horse. So I think he's going to show up in good good form. Yeah, to me, he's to me. He's this year's Adam Peterman. Oh, that's that's a hot take. Don't at me. (laughs) That might even be a hotter take than Courtney (laughs) DeWalter not winning. Yeah. I'll let history judge me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, history's gonna oh, I you. didn't. Get, before we get in deeper into the men's side, uh, I've got my interesting, I don't know, 
fun fact of me diving way too deep into the results of the last five years. Um, the women who race Bandera have done much better at Western States than the men looking at the last five years of results. So I guess this is like, wow. So I guess so this is what I've, what I've written down. My last bullet point was in the last five runnings of Bandera, women who've raced Bandera have made for eight different top tens. And on the men's side, it's just four. So it's like double on the ladies' side. Hmm. Interesting. So Interesting. I don't, I don't know what to draw from that, but that was, that was just like what I started going down. Then I was like, wait, how many are this? And then like, even like the 2019 women's Bandera four four of the competitors from Bandera went on to top 10 at States. Whoa, that's a good stat. Yeah. It was second, third, eighth and ninth. And That's they all raised Pandera that year. I was like, okay, so there, mm. there's something in the water down there. Maybe my, I think my first reaction to that is I would have expected it to have been equal success on both sides because we're farther away from Western States and there's more time to like rest and orient your season to the big dance. But um, it's not necessarily surefire that if, if you're getting a ticket on the men's side that I guess you're going to have a great performance there. Yeah, maybe maybe this will lead to a... Like I mean, just like a, a better executed version of what I just tried to do. Um, I'm sure Aid Station Fireball can take what I found yes. and just run with it for the rest of the Golden Ticket races. <laughs> like, just want to see like who got who top ten at Western States after running blank Golden Ticket race. He he actually might have. I'm gonna see if I can. He did something similar. Uh, because there was like multiple Golden Tickets in That's... one season, and then there was just like a who grabbed a golden ticket at the race and then how did they do at Western States? But it's just like there was people in Bandera who you know, there's four people. Oh yeah. You know, they could only get two golden tickets. Two of them somehow got their way into Western States still, but then all four of them top ten. Yeah, but then how would you say like if they got a golden ticket then at Canyons later in the season, would you still consider them like a Bandera racer, you know? Mm. Yeah, I guess that's where we'll have to see yeah. where where that's the where it goes, goes beyond your brain and then into Station yeah, I've, st- I've stopped. <laughs> I've stopped in January. But um, yeah, moving on to the there's a, there's the men's field is strange. Like there is a very wide range of people who could be on the podium mm. at this race, and I wouldn't say there's also a like obvious uh, favorite either. Mm-mm. You know, I think there's five or six different people that can win this race and 10 people that can get a golden ticket. Um, which, yeah, which, yeah. Like, like we were saying, like Chris Myers, like very fast had a hell of a 2021 with a whole bunch of 50 K results. But then we also have like Joe McConaughey, um, FKT master, but also got third, last year at this race in 817 he's had four top five golden ticket race finishes in the last five years and no golden ticket right and no golden ticket Ugh. yeah and like, he was so like, yeah two and a half minutes off of one last year so that one came so close yeah so close and then like we also have from the you know big mountain super long adventure race side of the world like john kelly barkley champ uh 10th of bandera in 2018 but most recently uh, no, not 10, 227 at the Cal International Marathon. 
in December. Like John has been working on his speed and, Mm. you know, sub 230 marathon speed and to have the kind of super long, like I think he did Tour de Jantz last Mm. year. Mm -hmm. Just did Hard Rock this summer. Who has a Hard Rock and a sub 230 marathon in the same year to their name? Yeah. He might be, he might be the only one. I'm I'm just going to throw Killian's name in there because (laughs) he probably has. But to have run 227 now and then has experience on the Bandera course, I I now like slot John Kelly like way up a couple more slots into, you know, where I think he could be at this race. Um, Well, and then Nick Curry, the 24 hour American record holder, very smart racer. Um, You know, I guess one of the advantages you know, he gets to train in pretty warm weather, you know, leading up to this race. Um, and he gets the, you know, the Arizona rocks, which is definitely helpful for this race as well. Um, so yeah, another person with a huge range, um, getting slightly out of that, you know, another favorite I would say is, uh, Jeff Colt, who was 11th at Western States this year. He's run Bandera twice. Um, third in 2019 and then i think he was fifth in 2018 he crushed me there um Let's see and then you know had a solid race at worlds um i think jeff did say he's been battling a little bit of sickness but he also was before getting 11th at western states so might be like a weird superpower sort of thing <laughs> these races are like his michael jordan flu game i think he'll be fine how many like how many flu games can you have in your career <laughs> at some point you got to just start drinking your airborne <laughs> um oh. who else uh ryan montgomery is another person who could absolutely win this race um got a golden ticket at Havelina in 2021 was fourth at bandera in 2020 so knows the course knows what it takes to have success um seems like ryan has been in a good training spot recently as well um yeah i was like these i think every single one of those people could win mm-hmm. this race a couple yes. more people that i'll yeah, add got? um miguel medina mm-hmm. he got fourth at this race in 2021 829 so not like a super fast time but he's got experience and he's he's been racing towards the front of the pack before this is somebody who i'm super high on charlie ware the man knows how to get golden tickets. He got a golden ticket at Sean O'Brien back in 2018, Black Cannon in 2016, and then also Black Cannon in 2020. So every, almost every other year in the past six years, he's, he's punched his ticket to Western States. I think he's very interesting. Jim Rebinac is interesting. He's won Run Rabbit Run before, but then it seems like ever since that happened, he's had trouble g- getting the start lines healthy. So I don't know mm-hmm. where he's at, but he has skill there's this east coast guy named caleb bowen Mm -hmm. who is an extremely fast hundred miler he's also i think a head coach at marshall university which is kind of badass um i don't know why that's relevant here but i think that's just kind of cool uh like we are marshall marshall we are marshall we are marshall exactly yeah no that's that's relevant exactly it's totally relevant (laughs) sorry i take that back that was extremely relevant um and i would be you will win the race in six hours (laughs) But I'm on the Fantasy Free Trail site now, and what is his 100-mile time? Yeah, he uh, just ran a 12.40 canal corridor. A 12.40 canal. So he doesn't have any, like, if you, like, Scrolls Ultra sign up, 
the results, like there's no real competitive races here, but I think the times speak volumes. Mm -hmm. And uh, Leah, like you said, this is one of those races where it's the great equalizer and you can come from any type of background and be successful. He's interesting to me. Yeah, he's, so. he is interesting. I think, um, yeah, he's got a sub 13 hour hundred miler. Um, he got second at this hurricane hundred K by a few minutes. And it looks like the guy that beat him, Alex Miner, is also running Bandera. Um, nice. Yeah. And I think the thing about these guys seems like they do a lot of road running. So I'd be curious to see how like the technicality of the Texas trails either like might not play as much to that type of training, but really curious to see how these guys do. Um, yeah, I'd also add Brian Curl. I don't think we've mentioned yes. him yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is on a tear this year, and I'm so excited to see how he does. Um, he has the only race he did not win this year was um, the Canyons. He had a pretty rough day at the Canyons 100K this year, but he set a course record at the McDowell Mountain Frenzy 50 miler, um, course record at Leadville Silver Rush in 616. He was supposed to run Run Rapid this year, but got COVID right beforehand, so ended up not being able to race mm. that. But I honestly think, yeah, maybe that led to him having a pretty strong fall and maybe not having hundred miles in his legs will really help him tear up the Bandera course, but huge Brian fan and he's fast, he's gritty and just needs to keep it all together and, you know, run with a lot of heart here. Cause I think he could definitely take the win if he has a good day. It's a great stage for him. I totally agree. Yeah. And like, uh, he lives in Salida, Colorado now. And those, man, that's a great place to train. It seems like their winters don't seem too aggressive there. And like from Estrava, it just seems like he's been able to get on a lot of dry trails recently. So I think being at altitude and then also being able to get on dry trails pretty much through the winter is clutch for a race like Bandera. One more name I'll add in is Ryan Atkins, who is a world champion multi-time on the Spartan scene. And then if you pull up his resume on FKT.com, he has some of the most sought after. He's had some of the most sought after FKTs in like the White Mountains, like the Presidential Traverse, the Great Range Traverse and the Adirondacks. Um, his wife, Lindsay Webster, uh, I, I believe just won the Skyrunner World Series over in Europe or was on the podium for it. So... I'm wondering if he's making the move into Bandera because he's inspired to some extent by her performance. Um, I think the only question mark there for me is what can he do in a pure mountain ultra trail race this long? Because if you look at his ultra signup, it's, it's not crazy impressive. He, I don't think he's raced to his potential in anything that he's done in our scene, but uh, maybe the best pure athlete in the field. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder how well, you know, all those big FKTs and like more mountainous 50 Ks will convert to, you know, simply needing to run like a total of almost like 35 or 40, like very runnable miles across the Bandera course. Brett, what's your podium for this race for the men's, for the men's field? Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm going Jeff Colt for the win. You know, we're going, MJ flu game number two. Um, and I, and, and that's not just because Jeff got sick before the race. I, I think Jeff is like, uh, he's like transcending in a way in terms of just like knowing what it takes, uh, to run at this level consistently. I think this past year, he's kind of really opened it and be like, Oh yeah, this is how, this is what you need to do to be towards the top of the sport. And I think he now knows that like every time he starts a race, he deserves to be up there. And I think 
you know, I think he's just going to start off 2023 hot. So I'm going Jeff Colt for the win. And then I'm, I'm on that, that, you know, John Kelly bandwagon mm. right now after that CIM. Um, so John Kelly's second. I, I, I guess I wonder if John Kelly would take a golden ticket if, if he, I, uh, I if he got he one, I feel like, yeah, why not? Yeah. Um, and then to round out my podium, I have Ryan Montgomery, third. No course I, record. I, I don't know what you call the phenomenon when, like, you see an image of a person in a certain state and it makes you diminish their ability and potential. But when I saw, when I saw John Kelly in that trash bag at, <laughs> at Barkley, even though he is an incredible athlete, I forever associate him with just like not a homeless person, but just not an athlete. And it's super hard for me to like realize that he did like a two twenty five marathon at CIM. And, you know, he's one of the best runners in our sport and he's so versatile. And See, I feel the opposite. Here. I feel the opposite about the trash bag picture. Like I just remember yeah, the trash bag and the orange beanie. I'm just like, <laughs> I found this orange beanie in the trash bag. So I put both on <laughs> and I'm just like, wow, what a baller. Just like, I'm, yeah. Zim I mean, wins I, Barclays. I, 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 I could have considered that to be resourceful. And for some reason, I went the opposite direction. I have no idea why. So yeah, Finn, <laughs> yeah. And, Finn and I were at a Halloween run a couple years ago. And we had a mutual friend show up dressed as John Kelly at Barclays for oh, this Halloween so run. Good. And it was so good. I was like, you know, you've made it whenever somebody's dressing up as you for Halloween. So John Kelly, you have <laughs> yeah. made it. It's an iconic it, look. It was so good. Point. It was so good. <laughs> okay. Okay, so, sorry. Can you say your your podium again? Because I I got caught up. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Colt, John Kelly, Ryan Montgomery. Um, okay. Winning time will be like probably eight ten again. Like it's been eight ten okay. the last two years. So like it will be eight ten on the dot again this year. Leah, how about you? Uh, I've got yeah. I agree. No course record this year, but eight ten winning time. Um, I got Brian Curl winning. Joe McConey, second place, finally getting his golden ticket, and Ryan Montgomery in third. My podium, again, got the noise-canceling headphones on to block out the inevitable haters. Mm. No course record, but the winner is going under eight hours, which I think is significant. I I have Chris Myers winning the race. I have Charlie Ware securing his fourth golden ticket in seven years. And then I have Joe McConaughey, uh, just continuing to live out this odyssey of a golden ticket journey in third place. I believe it's very close between him and Charlie. And my prediction is that even though I have no knowledge, and I tried to extract this from him in our interview. Uh, he redeems himself by going to Barkley later this year and uh, securing five laps. Yeah. Every time Joe misses a golden ticket, he knocks out some crazy FKT, <laughs> which is just like the weirdest way to like... <laughs> Like spend spend eight hours on a race, not get a golden ticket, and then like spend two weeks blowing off steam. <laughs> cool. Well, I think it's it's going to be an awesome race. It, this is an awesome time of the year. Golden ticket season is my absolute favorite, and this has been an awesome episode. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Brett. Do either of you have any parting thoughts either for this race or just anything in the next couple months worth uh, sharing with the audience? Well, 
I was wondering if we were going to talk about the live stream at all. Oh, let's do it. (laughs) We'll be on it. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. That's the news. (laughs) (laughs) Super exciting. No, Finn, why don't you give us a little rundown of what we're going to be doing the live stream with era Viper running uh, at their studios in Phoenix. So that's where the whole setup is. And they'll have, the Starlinks on the course feeding information back to us. Brett and I will be sitting at that desk in Phoenix for the second half of the race. I think the final like five or six hours of it covering the men's and the women's fields. And then I believe Leah will be on the ground at various aid stations acting as a sort of sideline reporter analyst, uh, supplementing and just making all of the stuff that we're getting from Starlink even better so that we have accurate reporting. So all three of us getting our first experience in the field, I think it's going to be awesome and going to learn in real time what it's like to try to fill the empty space and just come up with uh, banter. I think we can do it though. I think think we can talk about running. (laughs) <laughs> Leah, Leah, can you please like go to the people that are throwing up in aid stations and just stick a microphone in their face and demand an interview right there? I'm on it. I am. This is, I've yeah. been waiting for this moment my whole life. <laughs> yeah. Good, good. Wear your trash bag so you don't get thrown <laughs> up on you. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So I think it looks like you guys are going to take the mic starting at 1145 in the morning on race day and then kind of taking them through probably the past the women podium finishers. So it's going to be a fun day. Yeah, yeah, super, super exciting. And maybe uh, at some point later this week, we can conference on some some good banter in addition to Leah giving us the inside scoop from all of the pacers and their crews and aid station. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I mean, lots yep. of hot oh, yeah. one thing. One thing I know for sure, I don't know who it's coming from, but there's going to be some I told you so's. <laughs> Well, I was I was telling Courtney DeWalter offline. I was like, "Yeah, this is you know, this is going to be our first time in the studio recording." And she's like, "And I'm like, I'm super nervous. Like, how are we going to fill all the the space between you know feedback from Starlink?" And she's like, "Just get a bunch of dad jokes ready." So <laughs> oh, okay. maybe 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 dad jokes is the move. Okay, but they have to be Bandera themed. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Um, cool well awesome guys this has been awesome another awesome episode uh yeah until next time which i think is the black cane 100k this is myself leah and brett signing off thanks for listening before we sign off if you are a fan of the show please consider supporting us with a rating and a review in your podcast player a donation on patreon or the use of our sponsor discount codes in the show notes we really appreciate your support Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and you have been listening to the Single Track Podcast.